Hey, welcome to the Joy Girl Podcast. My name is Dara Avery Trainer. I'm really excited today. I have with me Brad Stein. So today we talk about when comedy and faith collide and making a difference unapologetically as a Christian. For over 20 years, Brad Stein has a desire to inspire believers to be bold and unapologetic about their faith in Christ. You may have seen him being featured on The Dry Bar, Fox and Friends, Huckabee, CNN, Promise Keepers conventions, and numerous other Christian broadcasts. Please help me welcome Brad Stein. Well, welcome, Brad. I am so excited to have you on this morning. Uh, you are, of course, very, very funny, and who better to talk to Joy about than someone who literally makes people laugh for a living everywhere they go. And so I'm going to kick it off with the question I ask everyone. I'm really curious about your answer. What is one thing that brings you joy? Probably not that easy of a question, frankly, because joy is such a very specific uh, word in a very specific sense of your humanness. You know, it's a fairly robust word. Uh, And I think it probably, like the word awesome, is overused and inappropriately used. Frankly, I always saw the word as awesome as to be saved for things that are awe-inspiring, not for pizza night. Uh, That, hey, we're going to go to a concert, isn't that awesome? Or we're going to go see the Sistine Chapel, Mm. isn't that awesome? Mm. Yeah, that is. That is. (laughs) So joy to me is a very beautiful, sacred uh, sense of the human experience because, of course, we're made in the image of God. Thus, everything that we experience that is of value, that is good, right. uh, is of God's essence. And so he must have joy mm-hmm. and he gives us access to that. But I don't know that we sit and define it that often. I don't know that we sit and and, and are aware of what we're experiencing that we would categorize as joy. I think that's mm-hmm. that's, again, a little flippantly utilized. I would say for me then, based on that long, over-convoluted <laughs> preface to my answer, uh, <laughs> thunderstorms. Thunderstorms. Well, I would not have thought you would have gone there. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if I – I mean, I, I'm sure I have, but for the most part – Virtually every time a thunderstorm comes, and I live in Nashville, Tennessee, so we get a, a lot of them. They're wonderful. Yeah. Is I always thank God. It's my favorite weather. Mm. And I literally will go out. I always have to go sit in the porch, smell it, mm. feel it, hear it, be awe-inspired by it. Mm. But it gives me a sense of joy because it's it's a very unique mixture of fear of God, because it's very Mm -hmm. powerful and it can destroy, Right. but it's controlled and it's, and it forces you to put yourself in the proper category of where you belong in the human, you know, in the universe. Right. And so it, I'm joyful because I just, I just love how I feel around it. I just love the, the whole tactile sense of it that for me that reaches all of my emotions i don't know why maybe it's because as a kid i remember growing up in indiana with thunderstorms and i don't know but Mm. to me that brings me joy i just am moved by it without intent without Mm. volition and that to me is where joy is legitimately 
defined is when one isn't seeking it or right. creating it. It simply is experienced. And that would be called a transcendent uh, reality uh, that right. to me would fit the word joy. So my apologies, but I'm a comedian and autodidact, so I do not yes. have simple answers to anything that you I, ask me to I am so glad that you don't. And in Dallas, Texas, we get some pretty epic yeah. storms as well. And I, so I work with teens and God moments and, and realizing the world is so much bigger than you. And mm. so I, I like that you went there because, um, of course, I went on a whole journey in writing in joy. And one of the things God showed me pretty early on is I was writing on happy originally. So mm. I canned everything I was doing. He was like, I'm about to take you through some things. And, man, I became a method actor to show you what joy really is. And so I start off, you know, and I've had the craziest answers from popcorn to all things. But I like that you picked something that is an overwhelming sense of, of who God is really through the display of his glory through, yeah. through nature. So, um, so we're going to go totally out of order because you, you, you talk a lot and I, I don't, I'm not scripted. Um, so I want to go right into hashtag God's comic and the intentionality you have with your career, but bringing truth into what you say and not just getting a, a cheap laugh, but you really have so much meaning in what you do. Um, there's one thing I love that you, you say, you say that when the creator of matter tells you, you matter, then you have purpose and you have self-esteem. And I, and I love that because that speaks right into this idea of your identity and having confidence in who God made you to be. So, so all that to say, my question for you is when did you decide that your craft was going to incorporate your faith? Was it right I off the set, a beginning or a journey? Yeah, I wish, I, I wish I had decided that. But what happens is God decides for you. What happens if you're truly a believer is you lose, how do I say this so, it would, so that it's true and accurate but yet is nuanced? To a certain degree, as a true Christ follower, you, lo you lose your autonomy. Not your agency. Right. So you always get to make the choice as to what you're going to do or not do. You know, it's interesting. If you are a believer in the transcendent and a believer in God and certainly a Christ follower, if that's what you believe is true, right. then you believe that you are eternal. You are a biological uh, uh, entity that's inhabited by eternal spirit and that you live forever. Mm-hmm. And that, but the only time, of course, is as we sit here on this earth, is we're integrated with a biological three-dimensional force uh, that is sort of in tandem with our spirit. But what's one interesting is this: the, the the biology doesn't live forever, right? It's, I mean, it's it it corrupts, it dies, right. Right. Uh, and yet, it's how we start our existence. Now, how do we put ourselves into that timeline? that is linear when we are believing that we live eternally well there's no there is no linear time in eternity so we kind of started ex nihilo joining the loop of eternity that God already existed in but he jump he lets us jump in with an actual time frame that we can say i was born i was conceived here that was the beginning of me right but then i live forever <laughs> forever 
So what's interesting is that um, the amount of time that I will exist in eternity in a three-dimensional form is about as – there's not even a word for how minuscule that that mathematics is. Right. Yeah. Right? It's just – it's a blink. And yet, and yet, maybe the most significant part of your eternity – Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's the only time in my eternal existence that I can give something to God he doesn't have. It's the only time. When I'm in heaven, I'm known as I know, I see as I'm seen. Uh, there is no more tears, no more pain, no more fighting, no more walking, no more working, no more working out the salvation of fear and fear. I'm complete. I'm in balance. Mm-hmm. This little speck, though... I can say, God, I'm not giving you that. I'm not doing that. I'm keeping that from you. I choose to disobey. This is the only chance, and it's also the only chance that I can garner some treasures, perhaps, that I can give back to God and say, hey, ain't much, but here's what I got for you. Thanks for the eternal salvation, right? So that being said, again, as I promised, long convoluted preface to any answer. (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm tracking. I'm okay. okay. (laughs) But what I mean by that is this. So by the same token, a true Christ follower has to be aware that your life isn't yours, that God had you in mind, that there was a plan that he had, and that you are expected to participate in your sphere of influence that you will be given. Wherever you're born, whatever your gender, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your time frame in history, this will be your responsibility, right? Right. So when I became a comedian, and that was even an accident, I, I was a magician. I was a close-up. I was going to ask you magician. about that. Yeah, I, I, I did uh, what they call sleight of hand. Uh, you might be more familiar with it if you ever saw uh, David Blaine or some of the guys that have won recently on America's Got Talent. They're what we used to call close-up magicians. Uh, but now they call them street magic or whatever, David Lee. But I used to do that professionally and I did it in a funny way. I just was, I just had a sense of humor. And so when I did my, my, uh, tricks, uh, there was humor involved. So when I decided I wanted to do, uh, a standup show, a, a larger show, just for f- financial reasons, I need to, I need to be able to make more money. I knew that if I did a comedy magic show, mm-hmm. Uh, I could get into comedy clubs. Uh, that would give me more access to, to income. That was, uh, it was pragmatic. So I get into comedy clubs and I start watching comedians. I go, man, that to me is much more interesting than sleight of hand because sleight of hand, even though there are people that are incredibly sophisticated at it and it's very difficult, people at the highest levels are like concert pianists. The things they can do is that difficult. I, I was not of that ilk. I was good, but not the the top of of the line um but i can teach you that it's like juggling you can teach somebody uh physical techniques to do something but comedy you either can do it or you can't agreed you <laughs> i've seen enough teach, shows agreed yeah, you can't teach somebody to do comedy it you either a have the sense of humor the innate ability to be funny that comes from your instinct or you don't and then you have to take it, hone it, refine it. So when I got into comedy clubs and watched these other comics, I said, I'm more intrigued by this because I'm an artist. And so I'm more intrigued by a mind, a mouth, and a mic 
than I am having a prop. And so I began to winnow away the, the, the tricks, which were kind of, you know, props that to me were cheating, and just see if I could get away with just words. And the words was, eventually became my stand-up comedy show in nightclubs. I was a Christian, so I didn't curse. I didn't do right. sexual jokes, uh, like which is all you see now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I learned in the nightclubs where you have to be funny or you don't work. I had to go into the trenches. I wanted to be the best artists should be believers because we believe in a God that created all things. Uh, and we should go compete at the highest levels where the highest levels are competing. That's I'm, my take. I'm quoting you. Creativity is funnier than crude. And I, I yeah. totally resonated with that idea because, you know, I go to a lot of, of shows and, and there's people that just go for, you know, dirty and just for a quick laugh. But there's nothing profound. It's not well written. There's no concept behind it. And as a writer, I look at those things and think to myself, that's not true art. That's not true creativity. But then yeah. you go even a deeper level because you aren't just in that moment trying to get a laugh, but you're actually trying to reveal a truth. Yeah, I think, though, that we have to be careful. And and I agree with you, but by the same token, we have to be careful because um, there is a a sense of subjectivity that is inculcated into that perspective because there will be a lot of people who uh, like – let me give me an example. Um, Bill Burr is a very popular stand-up comic, very popular. He's very funny. But he's very dirty, very dirty. Now, can we say, well, he's not funny? Well, no, he is. He's very funny. Uses the F word all the time. George Carlin was a brilliant writer of comedy. Atheist, militant, anti-God, crude. So we can't say they're not funny. Right. Uh, What I was trying to illuminate with that phrase you used was that I believe that there is a sophistication that is lost when one uses curse words in lieu of of a nuance or a subtlety. That, to me, is what I'm getting at. You know, they have a thing called modern art. Well, if you look at modern art and say, oh, yeah, all art's equal and it just happens to be this style now, and you say, no, it isn't. No, to have a red canvas and say this is brilliance, uh, and compare that to Rembrandt or the Sistine Chapel, and, and you see that these are equally proficient and equally artistic and equally awe-inspiring. If you really believe that, then you really don't understand depth. You're very myopic in the way you see the world. And I'm sad for you because you have a very <laughs> limited version of what beauty should look like. Right. Uh, and it's a broken it's a brokenness. But, of course, modern art comes from postmodernism, which – doesn't allow us to differentiate beauty and and depth uh, with anything else because in some way it's judging. Well, yeah, I'm judging it. It's that's crap compared to that. That's right. all. Yeah. Sorry, that's not <laughs> judging in a self righteous way. It's judging in a in in the ability to uh, analyze something and and choose to draw a conclusion. So. When my comedy was able to allow me to make a living, when I was able to do that as a professional stand-up comic in nightclubs, as a headlining comic in the best clubs, improv, you know, all these clubs that uh, that the best comics in the world are at, I 
was suddenly able to to uh, work for an agency in California that was called Clean Comedians, and they just booked Clean Comedians. And I remember thinking, well, that's perfect for me because I'm a Clean Comedian. So it's just another revenue source. That's all. Right. Okay. And when I went to work with them, they were booking me in churches. This is in the mid-90s, and I'm like, I'd never – I grew up in the church. I never saw a comedian in a church my entire life. Didn't know that it existed. And I thought, well, I can do this. These are my people. I can work for them. I don't have to clean up my act. I know what I can do, what I can't do. I know what I can get away with, what I can't, because I'm a Christian. So I know who they are. I know the DNA of these folks. And I started working in these venues, in these churches. And something occurred where I found myself compelled to say more. Hmm than just humor. I didn't know why. I just found myself wanting to articulate a Christian worldview in context of, of stand-up comedy, which is no different than a Chris Rock or a Carlin. They have a worldview. Here's how blacks see the world. Here's how an atheist sees the world. Here's how a fat guy sees the world. Here's how a homosexual sees the world. That's what comedy does. It takes your perspective, throws it out there for everybody to understand your through line. How do you see the world? So I was saying, well, what about a Judeo-Christian perspective? What about I'm a conservative. I want to conserve freedom. I want to conserve religious liberties. I want to conserve wisdom of the, of the ages. How about that? Let's see if there's a market for that. And and not only was there a market, but it was an underserved market mm-hmm. and a sure. neglected market. And so as I began to do it more and more and more, and it's a long story that it isn't really going to fit in your uh, time frame. It was clear to me that God was saying, no, 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 I've, I've called you to ministry. Uh, your gift isn't comedy. That's your flavor. Hmm. I like that. Your gift is communicating big, important ideas in a package that is palatable for the average listener. So the package is the funny, but the purpose is the message. And so that's when I realized that I was called to something bigger, that that I am not my own. The the church in America is 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 crumbling. Heresy is running rampant. We are being weeded out, wheat and chaff, and God is judging us. Clearly. And what has happened is, and all you have to do, don't look at American Christians, and I always differentiate because I am a missionary to America. Uh, Go look at Chinese Christians. Go look at Iranian Christians. Go look at Pakistani Christians. Go look at Indian Christians. Go look at Turkish Christians. Go look at Iraqi Christians. Go look at North Korean Christians. Go look at, you know, Morocco Christians. Go look at places where it is all in because this, you don't, your life is gone now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. American Christians have never been put in a position like that until now. And God is weeding out those who go to church but aren't Christ followers. And so, and he has to. It's always been this way. I hate it. I wish it wasn't the case. But it does, I think, come full circle, believe it or not. I actually have some cogent 
uh, uh, end game here. What you will find if you're truly a believer is it will bring you to your knees with the constant realization that you are not worthy of God, that you are a failure, you are a sinner, you are wretched, and he has completely forgiven you and sees you through a prism of the blood of his son. You are holy, sacred, perfect, but you're not your own. And so I will take away every idol. I will take away every God that you have placed in in my stead, whether it's cell phone or social media or your job or your comfort or your freedom or your safety or your ability to make a living. I will take everything because when I told you that I expect you to die for me, I wasn't kidding. Right, right. Now, as bleak (laughs) as, as that can feel with the words, yeah. When you reach that place of realization that nothing matters but God, mm-hmm. when you reach the place that the end game is God wins mm-hmm. every time, and when you realize that I'm just passing through, mm. and I was trying to find solace and peace right. and joy mm-hmm. in a place that was not my destiny, mm-hmm. but in fact was the place by which I could share with others, follow me, we're going to the place where joy mm-hmm. is everlasting. Well, and you touch on something so great when Paul talks about finding joy in any circumstance and learning to be content in everything. It's not a shallow perspective. It's a depth perspective of seeing the end game of seeing the bigger picture. And what I love that I feel you're communicating very well is we all have been given something to share and it's our responsibility. You know, it talks about in scripture that the gifts are without repentance. So it's our responsibility for whatever God's given us. And if he happens to be the type, you know, that gives us a microphone, then we better use it for a purpose far bigger than ourselves because we're accountable for that. And so, you know, if it's, if it's magic, if it's, if it's comedy, if it's speaking, if it's singing, whatever it looks like, we have to honor him in that. And we've been, but, but we were told long. that we were, but we were told that the last thing Jesus said was tell my story. He didn't say have altar calls. He didn't say, um, have a coffee bar and, and build a mega church. He said, tell my story. So that is our responsibility. And so I, I hope that, that your viewers, since your, uh, uh podcast is very theme specific, I hope they don't miss that everything I just spoke about is where joy is. Now, it seems antithetical because you're like, well, you spoke about a lot of challenges and difficulties that this earth brings and thus it needs to be abandoned. No, God started us on earth. 
He created the universe for us. He said, I want you to partner with me and that I'm going to let you choose to live in oblivion, but but forever. Or if you choose to eat of this tree, you'll know what I know. It'll kill you. You'll die. There'll be a new way that you will reconnect to me, but you'll know different things. And so you'll have to retrieve joy. But this time it will be with volition. This time it'll be joy that you have searched for and have sought as opposed to given to you blindly without you knowing the repercussions of losing it. So I want people to understand that I am not abandoning the 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 the, the three-dimensional realm and the as though it's bad or sinful even though of course sin entered into it but it was sacred and holy that's how we started so this is not about only caring about the other side and living on you know forever with Christ and that we have no obligation here no no we start here we do have an obligation here and you know what people need more than anything is how to have joy when life sucks. <laughs> Thank you for going there. I, I was going to go there. <laughs> yes. Listen. Mm-hmm. Listen to me. This is so important. Right. I don't need to teach you how to be happy when you're happy. I don't need to teach you how to be f- have your stomach filled when it's filled and be okay. I don't need to teach you how to be kind when people are kind to you. Nobody has to learn that lesson. The lesson is, how am I happy when life brings misery? How am I happy when I lost my job, when I lost my child, when I lost my spouse to cancer or death or car wreck? or murder, or some other horrendous thing you could never imagine. Because if you can find it there, it's pure. If you find it there, you have answered the unanswerable question. Because what we're all seeking for is peace. We're all seeking for peace. And so what the people, what the lost are desperately looking for when they mutilate their genitals to find, to become another uh, gender because they, they feel like that would bring them happiness and it brings them further misery because they haven't learned to find joy in simply the existence and the substance and the resting in the existence of your creator. Right. That's I think- where it is. I, I totally agree. I think that goes back to our very identity of our purpose and why we were created. But it's interesting you went there without me even asking because as I was writing the book on joy and I wanted to give people easy principles to increase, you know, I do think there's things we can do to have non-negotiables in place, to be a giver. There's things we can do to increase our joy and to live with it day in, day out. And it is different than happy because it's not based on our emotions, our circumstances. But when I was writing, I just kept feeling in my spirit, there's, I got to do something with tragedy. It would be a disservice to not say that joy and pain can live in the same space because I know better. I know that it can. And of course, I never would have written my story this way, 
But as I was actually in Nashville and I was editing through some of the chapters and I just kept feeling like I've got to touch on pain. I've got to touch on, I mean, that's not something you wake up thinking, oh, today sounds like a fun day to write on, you know, something I'm, I'm a very happy person in general. So this wasn't somewhere I necessarily wanted to go. And I got a phone call and never, nobody wants to get. And my best friend um, passed away. And it was just in that moment. And it was that same week and I felt I had to write. And so the book sat for, I'd say a, a good year of just not knowing. And God had to really work through a lot of things in my life, but really deal with what does it, what can you share with somebody who has grieved or has gone through thing? And yes, there is an element of what you do and laughter can bring a, a sense of, of temporary healing, but only God can, can fix what's broken in our lives. You know, I've, I've been a Christian long enough to know that, but to say you can still have joy, even in the most difficult circumstances that, that, that God can still fill you with something that doesn't make sense in the natural. And so speaking to somebody who's maybe listening and, and, and they're searching for joy and maybe there's some easy things they can do to shift their perspective, but maybe there's been something that's just hit their life that was so unexpected and they're in a season of just grieving. What would you say to them or how would you, how would you have them look at their situation differently? And of course we could be speaking to anything. Um, you know, there was a time in my life where definitely it was just, it was difficult. And I, I knew I had to write on something I didn't want to write on, but I wanted to bring people peace. And I wanted people to understand that the joy still can continue despite hard things that happen in your life. Well, first I would say, uh, the, the, the number one thing you need to know is I'm not there either. Uh, nobody is. So do not look at somebody and say, ah, though they figured it out. If only I could be like them. No, we're all on a journey working it out with fear and trembling. So we are searching for that. We are striving for that conclusion. But we're not there because we're humans and we fail and we have pains and miseries that we don't know how to uh, necessarily always um, – overcome. It, it's a challenge. So uh, I, I don't, first thing I want them to not think of is, oh, if I could just reach that guy's status, I will understand it. No, I'm on the same path. I might be a little bit ahead of you, maybe. And I can teach you some roadblocks along the way or vice versa. So mm -hmm. the first thing is that. So don't look to people mm -hmm. because they might, they might have some wisdom and some experience. I'm not saying they don't have value, but they're not your answer. Secondly, there is no scripture verse that will make it all better. Uh, I don't mean that Christians don't mean well, because I think if they're true believers, they always mean well. But, you know, what could be a worse perspective than somebody just lost a, a loved one and they say, well, they're in a better place. Yeah. What? No. Excuse yeah. me? Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, but at least we know where they, you know, and I know they're trying in desperation to give some meaning to this thing because it's so horrific. But I think what is more important, of course, during the worst of times like that is to not try to find some trite answer, but instead come alongside and just be a support for them to hold on to. I agree. Just mm -hmm. be there for them and say, I, I'm not here to fix you, nor do I have an answer. I just want you to know that it, whatever you need, 
I will try to help you with that. And if you've had this experience yourself, one thing you can say is the only thing I can tell you is I know exactly how you feel because I've, I've been there too. So then they don't feel like it's this sort of unique thing that nobody else has ever had to experience. So that helps a little bit. And you say, but I'm not here to try to give you answers. Whatever you need to do, do. Cry, scream, yell, shake your fist, whatever is necessary. It's okay. God understands. Mm-hmm. And I'm here to support you the best I can. But I think that ultimately you said it earlier when you said, Paul said, you know, I've been rich and I've been poor and I've learned in all things in that to be content. Notice that the contentment wasn't in being poor. I'm poor. Now I'm content. Right. Nope. (laughs) Well, I'm rich. Now I'm content. What he was saying was your circumstances will never be sufficient. Because if you're looking for circumstances to give you joy, it's going to come and go. It's right. going to pass. Yeah, yeah. The, the cancer was cured this time, not next time. You're going to die. So what the, I think the, 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 the depth of that scripture is what he basically saying is what the earth has to bring and what challenges and difficulties or good things come my way. I'm not resting on any of that because there's no answers in any of the ulterior uh, exterior uh, uh, dynamics of existence. It will be going to God and saying, in the end, you're enough. And if you can do that, then it's not about the circumstances suddenly being endurable. The circumstances aren't what defines you. Never have been. They're God. It is hard. It sounds great in a podcast. It sounds right. great on a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. Sounds great in a meme. Sounds great. But to do it is going to be the most difficult thing in your life. But you will have moments. You'll have moments. God will always give you, like you said, laughter brings joy. It's real. It's real. But it's just a shadow. Yeah of what eternal joy will be. It's just a little clue God gives us to remind us, this is really here. You are going to have it. But right now, do me a favor and rest in the joy that I'm here and I'm on the other side because maybe, just maybe, you're an answer to somebody else's prayer instead of you right. trying to always get yours answered. And perhaps the joy will be in finding out that what makes Christianity so difficult and yet amazing is you always have to give away what you need. I need grace. Go be grace. I need forgiveness. Go be forgiving. I need joy. Go give joy. That's good. <laughs> I think you tied it with a bow. So anything else would, would do a disservice. That That is beautifully said. Thank you so much. This, you know, you talk to different people of different backgrounds and get their perspective on what they do for a living. They make people laugh. So you want to hear what joy is to them. But this was a whole nother level of, of deep. And clearly that speaks very highly to your relationship with Christ. And it just out of the I abundance so. flows. And so thank you. Yeah, thank I, I you think so that much. I feel like I always end my uh, uh, 
interviews uh, like I was, was disappointing to people because I I assume they are, are they're <laughs> expecting this is going to be the funny jokey uh, interview and it's it and I all I can say is I'm grateful that I can bring laughter it's fun and yeah. I know it brings joy yeah. to people and it's good it is the least important thing in my life 